Welcome into the Duck Territory podcast. I'm Matt Freem, Eric Scopel's across the way. Hey, guys. Uh, get some business to take care of right before we go into this podcast. You can follow us on iTunes. Uh, go to the iTunes search bar and search for the Duck Territory podcast. We'll pop up. We're free. Uh, you can also check this out uh, directly on duckterritory.com as well. And also make sure to like us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Oregon 247. Uh, last podcast, which we recorded, we're, we were talking Oregon football and the head coaching hire. Uh, we're shifting sports for this one. Uh, we talk Oregon basketball once a week, and uh, we're, we're going to be talking da- about Oregon's uh, men's basketball program, currently sitting 7-3 and three following a 68 to, uh, 74-68 to victory over uh, winless Texas Southern on Monday, which didn't uh, look all that pretty. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of talk about that and our concerns from that game. Um, the comments we received from Dana Altman and, and the players following that one as well. We'll look ahead to, uh, today's game against Portland State. Uh, and I, you know, normally you, you look at that one and you say Portland State, they're probably easily beatable, but right. this isn't the year. Also, another tough game, uh, road game, final road game for the Ducks before non-conference play starts, uh, is this coming Saturday. And then I think, you know, we're starting to see the emergence of Kenny Wooten. We'll discuss his play over the last few games and his importance. And then, uh, we'll, we'll shake things up and we'll end it with, could there, could there and should there be some kind of roster shakeup, uh, with this starting five lineup, uh, based off what we've seen through 10 games? I, I, and that kind of circles us back to the 7-3 start, uh, yeah. for Oregon. I feel like we kind of have a good picture now, Eric, of who Oregon is. I mean, I, they're going to improve. They're going to take leaps, but we kind of know now their deficiencies. We kind of know their strengths and the limitations that this program and that this roster has for this season. Yeah, well, you said you're gonna, we're going to look at the picture here. We, we have a better idea. It's like a Picasso painting right now. They're <laughs> so inconsistent. They're sort of so strangely put together, and and it's really hard to get a feel what you're going to get from them night in and night out against Texas Southern, who you mentioned. Hasn't won a game this year. It's also worth knowing they played like a murderer's row schedule. I mean, they played all these, you know, Power Five, uh, really, you know, Kansas, Gonzaga, all these good teams on the road. Um, but probably a little better than their record, but still, a team that hasn't won a game. And it was a one-point game late in regulation. A couple of minutes. You know, and, and it could have, it was almost a game where it could have gone either way. And you don't want to be in that situation now that you're, you know, 10 games into the season and, this comes right off of a game against Colorado State where, where Dana Altman said he thought they took a couple steps. It looked like they took a couple steps. They beat Colorado State, who I think... They was, handled them. They won by 30. They won by 30. I mean, it was a game where, where Oregon, you know, was unbelievable in the second half, couldn't miss, and then they come out and they really kind of lay an egg um, against Texas Southern, who's, like we said, probably not a team that should be playing with Oregon. I think Oregon's a 20-point favorite and they win by six. So, yeah, that's sort of indicative of, of kind of what we've seen this season. They're just very inconsistent. And when you're playing in a conference that's, you know, as good as the Pac-12, you can't do that. And I don't know what work you have to do to find consistency, but I know that when you're 10 games into a season, you, like we said, you've started to kind of develop habits and kind of an understanding of what this team looks like. And I do think it's it's worth being kind of concerned about what you're seeing right now. I mean, they struggled mightily in Portland. They're kind of lucky to beat DePaul. They lost two other games to Oklahoma and Connecticut, they came back and they lost to Boise State on a buzzer beater, a game they probably should have won. You know, they beat Carl State really handily, and that was kind of like, okay, maybe they're finding their footing, but then they come out and they, they lay this, this dud, this dud right here. Um, and then tonight against Portland State, it's going to be really tough. So you, you're kind of, 
it's really kind of hard to project where this team is going, but I think if I were to, you know, kind of make a, make a statement, I would say I, I'm concerned about this team being an NCAA tournament team right now, just given kind of how inconsistent they've been. They've had games that looked great. They've had uh, more games than not where they've looked kind of subpar and, and kind of, you know, like a team that probably won't be playing very deep into March if at all. Yeah, this is, you know, I, I think Duck fans will look at this team and say, well, why, you know, why can't they rebound or, you know, why are they so soft inside or, or what's the issue with, uh, the, you know, the intensity or the, the, the fire that this team had the last few seasons. And, you know, I, I think we kind of assumed that Oregon's versatility would be a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, their matchups would be, uh, a little bit more in their favor going into games. Um, but, and we kind of glossed over the idea of the, the sheer worry that they have inside. And it starts with a couple movements that happened in the offseason. Cavell Bigby-Williams decides to leave mm -hmm. the, the program, transfers to LSU, and maybe in hindsight seeing what's come out the last, bad, couple, thing. <laughs> last couple of weeks uh, in terms of his off-the-field incident he had uh, last season. Um, while we also should say he was not ever charged or ever found guilty of a crime, um, but it might it might have been best for him to go somewhere else. Um, and then on top of that, Oregon looking like the favorite for months, and then at the very last you know stroke of midnight, UNLV comes in and swoops away Brandon McCoy, mm -hmm. uh, a five star center from this from from Oregon's grasp. Essentially, he's you know day away from committing to Oregon. Right. Um, I think that's become a bigger storyline than anything we've seen mm -hmm. uh, on Oregon's roster for this season. Um, bigger than the loss to UConn, bigger than the loss to Oklahoma. Um, I think those two moves have, have really kind of put Oregon behind an eight ball because you look at this team and there's not a lot of size, there's not a lot of strength down low, and there's they're lacking that, that killer guy. Dylan Brooks, Jordan Bell, Tyler Dorsey, mm -hmm. the last Joe Young, Elgin Cook. Um, the last couple of years, Oregon's had two or three guys who, whether they were guards or forwards, could get to the rim and, and could make plays and could finish. And I think through ten games this season at Oregon, and we're a third of the way through now of the regular season, I just don't think there's a guy on this team right now right. that's really good around the rim. And that's good teams have that guy. I think a lot of us thought that would be either Troy Brown or Elijah Brown. And frankly, neither has been consistent. I mean, you look at yesterday, they combined to shoot three for 16 from the field. And, and Troy Brown has been a great rebounder. He's been a good facilitator, but he hasn't been quite, I don't think the score we expected. Elijah Brown, you know, has had a couple really good shooting games, but he's had more often than not games where you kind of go like, how did this guy average 20 points a game at New Mexico? And, and yeah. I think we expected he was going to come in and be able to kind of replicate the Tyler Dorsey stuff. And really, to be honest, he hasn't. You know, he, he's he been pretty inconsistent as a jump shooter. You know, he, he went out and I think he hit all four threes last game against Colorado State. This game he misses all three shots, doesn't score a point. Um, uh, I think the hope was that they would, you know, have enough scoring to kind of mitigate the lack of what you just talked about, the lack of big guys. I mean... 
and getting to that point, I mean, there really isn't a true post player on this team besides Kenny Wooten. And, and he is really emerging, but Paul White's probably better suited to play on the perimeter. Mikhail McIntosh is probably better to play on the, better suited to play on the perimeter. Roman Sorkin's tall enough, but he's better suited to play on the perimeter. And MJ Cage, you kind of wonder about the passion and physicality with him as well. So that leaves you with one guy, and that's, that's not a good situation when that one guy is a 6'9", 220 pound true freshman, and like last night, he had to go up against a guy who's 7'2". Now, it's also safe to say that, you know, <laughs> Excuse me. Oregon's had months to prepare for this because um, they knew McCoy wasn't coming here back in I think May or or April. Right. Um, Cavell Bigby Williams left kind of around the same time frame, and you know, so Oregon's been you know preparing, you know, but I, I think there's only so much X's and O's Dane Altman can do um, in terms of preparing his team and you know positioning his team out there to, to deal with the lack of size because. We've seen teams who have a lot more depth and uh, maybe not necessarily the most talented big guys, uh, but just serviceable, be able to execute some stuff because Oregon simply just doesn't have the girth or the size inside. And I think you know, this is a team to win games and to be very impressive uh, moving forward. They're going to have to play a, a very aggressive uh, trapping, pressing ty- style defense, You know, get the game going really fast. Uh, zone, which they haven't been able to really pick up on. Right. And then offensively, you know, they're going to, they're going to need to make their jumpers. And this is where the consistency issue comes into play because like you mentioned, uh, Elijah Brown hasn't been what I think everyone was kind of expecting when you watch him for two years at New Mexico make 20 points a game. He's clearly struggling to find his, his rhythm and his, his fit within this Dane Altman offense. Um, Troy Brown has had his, his highs. He's also had his lows. And, um, I, I guess, a couple of the bright spots, though, that we've we've seen is I, I'm starting to believe Peyton Pritchard needs to move off the two position, uh, off the point guard spot and move to the two, not because he's an ineffective point guard. I think he's been really effective. He's averaging four, almost four and a half assists a game. But right. he's, in my opinion, far and away the team's best outside shooter. And you look at his games the last five, 29 against DePaul. He had just 10 against Oklahoma, which was a poor performance by his standards. Uh, he had 28 in the loss to Boise State, 3 of 7 from 3, 9 of 16 from the field. Uh, against Colorado State, he didn't really have to score all that much. Uh, he only finished with 11. Uh, and then against Texas Southern, again, 16 points on a very efficient 5 of 8. Mm-hmm. I think Pritchard needs to shoot more. And I think you might have to move him over to the shooting guard spot just because he's he's clearly your best Perimeter player. Are we, are we full on going into roster shakeups right now? I don't know if it's a shakeup, but I think it's a bright spot. Because well, I'm looking at right now and just looking at kind of the last <laughs> couple of games. I think we've, we're, we're, you know, Altman is, is always wants to try to figure out his rotation. I think we're really starting to see it come down to about a seven man rotation. You know, and that seven being the starting five and then Kenny Wooten and Victor Bailey Jr. Uh, Keith Smith still getting 10, 15 minutes a game. I think that'll continue. But Abu Kijab, you're starting to see him kind of, his minutes kind of go. And Roman Sorkin and MJK just kind of like one of those guys is going to play five to 10 minutes, but not much more. And, you know, of those seven guys, I'm kind of wondering, you know, right now they're starting Peyton Pritchard. They're starting Elijah and Troy Brown. They're starting Mikhail McIntosh and Paul White. I kind of wonder if they might want to move some things around. And you just mentioned moving Pritchard off ball. But here, here here's a lineup for you. What do you think about this? If you had Troy Brown playing the point guard position, you had Peyton Pritchard at the two. You had Victor Bailey playing the three. That moves Elijah Brown to the bench, and Bailey's just kind of a better defensive player. Paul White at the four, and then Kenny Wooten at the five. I mean, it's it's a lineup I don't think any of us thought we'd be talking about when the season started, but right, right now with how the players have played, I'm kind of thinking, 
you know, you need something to move some stuff around. I'm kind of wondering if this kind of, they've got, this should be worth, I think, three true freshmen here starting, but I'm wondering if you kind of move things around a bit here, because I think Bailey and Wooten have been probably more consistent players than McIntosh and Elijah Brown have been. I, I, I don't know about McIntosh. I think he gets lost in, in the shuffle here with Oregon basketball, because typically we, we tend to look at, just your first instances, and I'm not saying this is what you did, but right. you know, everyone in, in general just kind of looks directly at points. And I don't think he's necessarily been a guy that's really blown you out of the water with points, but he does a lot of other things, I think, that don't show up on the box score and then people overlook. He had eight rebounds and 10 assists against tennis, uh, Texas Southern. He had 11 points and seven rebounds uh, against Oklahoma. Um, he had three steals and, uh, against uh, DePaul, he's had a couple steals against Boise State and Oklahoma. I think he does a lot of the, the dirty work. You're right. That I would keep him in the lineup. So am I scratching his name out? That White's name out and putting McIntosh. I, in? I, I would. I would. Uh, I would keep White and I would keep McIntosh and I would have Bailey off. And you would. Oh, you'd play McIntosh at the three now. Yeah, wow. because I or, or White. I mean, I, I, the biggest concern for me with with Oregon is they don't have a lot of size, mm-hmm. and I think. I would, I would, I would agree with you. The lineup needs to get the, the rotations need to get shortened down. Um, I would probably play Keith Smith still. I think so. Yeah, I and agree. I would probably you know start you know you, you still throw in Bailey. You, you still you still throw in uh, Keyjab, and you still throw in Sorkin here and there. But if you know they get maybe two or three minutes to kind of catch their feet, and if things aren't going for them. They're basically done for the night, excluding VJ uh, Victor Bailey. Yeah. Um, I think Keith Smith allows you to have some more versatility, where you could substitute Smith in for a Wooten, and then Paul White shifts down to power forward, McIntosh up to power forward, and and Smith uh, goes into the small forward spot. Um, and then obviously Brown can can do the same thing. Uh, but I, I agree, you need. I think the lineup is going to start shortening here a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but my concern with Oregon is, is you know, they just need to play with their biggest lineup, and that's the most proficient and most effective. And I think Wooten and McIntosh and White need to be on the floor at some point. Um, you're probably going to lose some shooting with that. Yeah, I was going to say you lose a little shooting, and I, you're also playing Troy Brown. Remember, that's four guys over six foot seven. So maybe that's how you make up for not having a true center is you put a bunch of longer athletic right. guys out there, and that. Makes the other team have to adjust how they play, and, and I do think you know with that kind of a lineup, you do have Troy Brown and Peyton Pritchard who can both, or basically both ball. point guards, basically can both get you into your offense. McIntosh is a guy who played in the perimeter at Illinois State and hasn't really done a whole lot here, and and then White is a guy who can hang out in the perimeter. Wooten's probably your really only post presence. We should probably talk about him because you know I uh, you you think that Oregon should have been Texas by a lot more, but yes, Kenny without Kenny Wooten, they might lose that game. Absolutely, I mean Peyton Pritchard. And Dana Altman both kind of came out and said as much yeah. that without Kenny, uh, they probably lose that game against an 0 and 8 team going into that one in Texas Southern. Um, Wooten had some key plays down the stretch of the first half, three straight made baskets, uh, one of which resulted in an and one situation. He missed the free throw. Uh, Wooten actually made his first six shots of the game too. Um, was a perfect from the field. Uh, and the bigger takeaway for me is. His fouls were down. He he only had one foul the entire game. He played 25 minutes. 
He had two against Colorado State, but he picked up two, I think, in one minute of action in the first half. Yeah. And then had to sit the entire rest of the half. And so he ended up playing 14 – I think he ended up playing thir- like 13 minutes in the second half against Colorado State. But ironically enough, that's kind of when they really busted things open, really, yeah. uh, in the second half against the Rams. Uh, and then against Boise State, he didn't even pick up a foul. He played 14 minutes, uh, but he wasn't nearly as active, I think, on the boards and, um, and blocking shots. But – Wooten's play against Texas Southern was tremendous because in the first half, when he had three straight baskets, they had made, I think the stat was they had made two of like 22 shots at, up until that point. Wow. Um, there was a run where they made you know, just basically two of 20. That's crazy. Uh, which is just terrible. That's awful. That's your kid's sports team, like. <laughs> um, and, and then Wooten decided to just post up and, Got a hook shot, got an up and under move, and then I think he added another jumper uh, to the mix and kind of got Oregon back on track offensively. Uh, they went into the half with, a, I think, a one-point lead. Um, and then in the second half, kind of the same deal happened. But then this time around, he also uh, started blocking some shots. He finished with four. Uh, he, he, I think this is a game where we're starting to see the evolution of, of Wooten. And he, I asked him after the game if things were starting to slow down. He said, yeah. Um, I'm starting to pick things up a little bit quicker and, you know, decisions are coming faster for me, but I'm still a long ways away. And I think whether Altman is ready for him to have the minutes or not, you can tell me if you agree or not. I think it's gotten to the point where he has, he has to play. They have to give him the chance, throw him out and see if he sinks or swims I think, as a starter. I, I mean, I, I, if it's starting or not, I think you need him in for 25 minutes or more a game just because, like we've said a couple times today, um, McIntosh and White are both really undersized and not true post players. And, you know, we've already kind of established that Sorkin and, and Cage really aren't kind of like capable of playing with a lot of these teams. You know, Wooten's really their only interior guy. And it's really hard, in my mind, to try to play a game where the majority of the time you don't have a true post player on the court. And, you know, he provides, whether it's scoring at the rim or rim protection, you know, those are two things you need at this level, just, you know, just as a baseline. And you're starting to see him develop offensively. We kind of already knew about the defensive stuff, and he's you know a poor man's Jordan Bell right now. But which Peyton Pritchard came out and quickly shot down. Yeah. Um, I, was, I, I watched that interview. Peyton was answering more questions that Kenny was asking, <laughs> Kenny was answering. I think, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and and Dana Altman has talked a lot about, and this is kind of getting off tangent here. That's fine. Um, Dana Altman up in Portland and following. Last night's game, or two nights ago's game, and um, throughout this season has talked about more leadership. And I think that was Peyton showing that leadership skills of, you know, Wooten, it was really Wooten's kind of first or second time speaking with the media. I think it was, first. I think it was his first after a game, yeah. for sure. Um, and, and you could tell Wooten was not comfortable in that, in that situation. It's a weird situation if you've never done it before, especially right. as a teenager. And Pritchard, you know, kind of coached him along and, and, Stepped in when he needed to to you know either to shoot down whether the reporter meant it or not a negative comment or you know you know trying to tell you know the, the message was defending was, him or yeah, yeah. The, the message was you know what's it feel like to be in the legacy of Jordan Bell wearing the same number type same type of player and you know Wooten tried to deflect well Jordan Bell's a great player you know only going to hope to be that good and Pritchard shot right back in saying you know Kenny Wooten's going to be Kenny Wooten. He's going to make his own legacy here at Oregon. He's going to do big things, but he's going to be Kenny Wooten, not Jordan Bell. And I think that was, from from a coaching standpoint, that was 
probably good to see for, if you're Dan Altman and, and the coaching staff. Yeah, you're, you're, and I, we saw actually, ironically, we saw Dylan Brooks, I think, give Pitt and Pritchard some pointers last year during an interview, one of Pritchard's first ones uh, at the podium. So, yeah, you do like to see that, and, and you know, Wooten is obviously a guy that, that Peyton is very high on. If, you know, that, was, that was probably another big takeaway from the post game. I mean, he, he was extremely complimentary of him. I think he probably is recognizing, too, how valuable he will be, and you need his kind of confidence and focus there, especially with a true freshman you just don't know. You know, it can fluctuate game to game, and he seems pretty level-headed, but you just want to kind of think, continue to encourage him, because if they can get 13-4-4 four and four out of him every night, I think they'll take it. Yeah, and, and I think this is a case where we're seeing this team kind of grow and develop, and you know, unfortunately there's going to be bump spots, and that's what Dana Altman said, with consistency with freshmen is the biggest thing, and you, you'd hope your veterans can kind of provide that. And I think that's the biggest thing that Oregon's lacking right now, because he kind of knew freshmen would be freshmen. Right. Um, Pritchard's basically been the only one that's really been consistent. Um, Paul White has had his ups and downs. McIntosh has had his ups and downs. Uh, Elijah Brown has certainly had... Troy Brown as well. Yeah. Has had his ups and downs. And then Keith Smith has, you know, he, he's flashed some, and then he's completely disappeared uh, for multiple multiple games as well. And, you know, Roman Sorkin has done the same thing from... You know, his breakout 26-point performance uh, game one. I forgot one. about that. I feel like that was last season. Now. Yeah. Uh, so to where they are now where he's struggling to get on the court. So, yeah. you know, if, if Oregon can can smooth out the consistency issues with their with their vets, that will you know, help so much with the, you know, with the freshmen. And I think we're you know, missing the point that there's like four or five guys on this team. They're playing their first college basketball experience, mm-hmm. and they're having to play key minutes. And that's... That's difficult unless you've got guys like a Kentucky or a Duke who every single one of them are a top fifteen, top right, twenty caliber player. Overseas in these you know international right. tournaments. Let's, I mean, look at look at Troy Brown. I mean, right. He struggled against Texas Southern and yet still found a way to get a double double. Ten his, twelve. His second straight double double uh, of of the season, uh, or at least in a streak. You know, he's 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 going into a Portland State game tonight with two straight double doubles, yeah. and you know. That's a really good player finding ways to make an impact, and I know you can you know be upset about the shooting. He was three of thirteen, missed his first nine shots, but at the same time, he found other ways to impact the game. Ten points, twelve rebounds, four assists, one block, one steal. I mean, you eliminate the shooting performance, and and it be three of ten or three of nine. Yeah. That's a hell of a game, and you know that's that's what a five star should be able to do, and you know that's what the difference between Oregon's freshmen and. You know the likes of Duke and Kentucky are. You know these guys are good, but look, they weren't expected to come in and and be gangbusters day one. Let's really briefly look ahead at what we've got kind of going ahead here, which is Portland State tonight at home and Fresno State on Saturday, which is a game a lot of Oregon fans might miss just because they'll be watching the Las Vegas Bowl, which will have I, I think at least an overlap for the first half. Yeah. Um, this is a, honestly, if Oregon can split these games, it's crazy to say that that might be kind of a victory, just because Portland State is eight and two. Um, they have. And it's not like they're playing cream puffs they, either. Their two losses are to Butler by two and to Duke by nineteen, but that was like, like a two point game with five minutes to go. And yeah. They just pushed it out. Um, they've also beaten a number of teams. I think they're five and zero on two road games. Or they trounced Stanford eighty seven to seventy eight. Um, they they won. won at Loyola Marymount yeah. 94-85, and then most recently uh, they won at South, uh, Santa Clara 87-84. So this is a team that's they've won three, they've won excuse me four, four road four games. Road games. Yeah. Um, they've held their own against tournament caliber teams for 35 minutes, 
almost 40 minutes against Butler. And they Butler. beat Portland Bible by 75. <laughs> um, and so, look, this this is a group, and Dana Altman called them. Now, they're a veteran team. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of they've got a lot of vets. Uh, they've got some size up front. A couple six ten players, a, a, a seven footer on their team, um, some guys with some length, and, and then you look at, at at their their production across the board. Look, they've got four guys that average double digits, two players over sixteen points a game. Yes, um, they've got talent, and this is not the typical Portland State type team you think of when Oregon plays them. And it, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if if they come into to Matthew Knight Arena and pull off the upset because they're talented enough to do that. I mean, they're, they're not going to be a team that's going to be a, a, probably even a top eight seed come tournament time, but I think if they were to beat Oregon, that could potentially lock, you know, move them up a couple lines on the tournament seeding because they're probably more than likely going to win the Big Sky. I think we can you know say that. And you know if they do that, they're probably in that 12 to 13 range. If they beat Oregon, then maybe they jump up to a 10-11 type seed just because that's along with Stanford now, all those road wins they've got, a, you know, a good schedule in the non-conference having played Duke and Butler. They could kind of be one of those you know, feisty 10-11 type seeds come tournament time. And then Fresno State, I believe also just two losses this year. That's a road, that's a true road game. Oregon's only true road game. First true road game of the season and only of the non-conference schedule. That's also going to be tough. And like I said, I think if they can split these, if they sweep them, that's going to be huge. But if they can split those, you'll take it. They probably go into conference play at 9-4. and four. That's you know, considering kind of how poorly Oregon has played at times this season, it wouldn't be the worst case scenario. Yeah, Ken Palm is KenPalm.com is an analytical site, does a lot of projecting out and rankings and you know, going into the year, uh, Ken Palm had they didn't count Oklahoma and, and the DePaul games but because they didn't they don't know who Oregon was gonna play. Yeah. Um so it, so in their books Oregon was playing twenty nine regular season games. Uh, the Ducks were expected to go 11 and 0 in non-conference play. Um, obviously, they were supposed to beat Connecticut. They lost. Then they were. And then obviously, they beat DePaul, and that was supposed to be a win. And I think they were underdogs against Oklahoma State. Uh, they were supposed to beat Boise State, but now that 10 games in, they've kind of updated every game. They update their numbers right. and their projections. Uh, Oregon has gone from being a uh, <coughs> excuse me a team that was I think had like a 60 percent chance of winning at Fresno State. To now having a forty-five percent chance of winning, and they're projected to lose seventy-seven to seventy-five. What about Portland State? I'm Portland State, they're way more confident than you and I are uh, in the Ducks. They're ninety percent favored uh, favored to win, uh, and the projected score is ninety-three seventy-nine, which is about kind of what you would expect if Oregon plays well. But again, they're not playing good basketball right now. What was the projected score against Texas Seven? Uh, it does not have oh, it on there anymore. Sure. Okay, uh, but say, it, it was. I'm sure, I'm sure it was not a six point game. <laughs> it was. It was a lot higher than than what it is. Uh, what it ended up being. Um, but yeah, these next four games or three games: Portland State, Fresno State, and then a home game on the 20th uh, against Central Arkansas are, are pivotal because if you can go two and three, that's probably a. If yeah, you look, you at, can take it. You can you take it. Um, but even with the loss at Fresno, projected loss at Fresno State. This Oregon team's got to show some kind of positive momentum going into conference play because it gets real tough real quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Home games against uh, Utah and Colorado, then they go on the road, play at Oregon State, and then they go on the road and play a team who theoretically could realistically be the number one team in the country in Arizona State. 
not Arizona. Right. Um, <laughs> Arizona State's fifth in the country right now, and then on top of that, they have to play that Arizona. Gosh, that Arizona road trip is looking real tough right now. Yeah, Oregon, Oregon, it's not. It, they've been done no favors early on there. I mean, they're going to have to regroup pretty quick because less than a month from now, they're going to go on the road and try to play two. You know, probably two of the top three teams in the conference right now. If you're just ranking them in Arizona, and Arizona State. And strangely, like you said, Arizona State's probably the 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 one team in Arizona is probably you know second or third. Uh, I still think this is a tournament team. I still think this is a team that can win a game in the tournament, make that streak go to six. Um, it's just going to be probably the more difficult one of the of these six past seasons for Oregon uh, in their tournament stretch. And I, I, I think the talent is still there for this team to actually be pretty damn good. It's just how quickly can these young guys kind of figure things out and how quickly can the vets kind of mesh with that. And that's kind of what this season and this non-conference schedule was, was about. And unfortunately, I, you know, you tell me if you agree or not. I don't think they've really made much traction uh, or progress since uh, November 10th when they played their first game. Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly not the progress we're used to seeing, and it's worth mentioning. Dana Altman teams typically uh, some struggles in November, December, start finding their footing by January, and then February, and March are playing at a really high level. But um, this is this is not probably where if you're if you ask Dana Altman, I'm sure he'd probably tell you this. He might have said this recently, but. You ask them straight up, is this where you wanted this team to be? I'm sure you'd say absolutely not because yeah. there are so many issues there that are glaring and issues that are, you know, probably effort more than talent related. And I think, you know, they've got their work cut out for them, like you said, you know, to be a tournament team. I mean, we probably kind of thought they could be a six seed, five seed type team if they played well. And now it's like if they get in, it's going to be probably on that nine to 12 seed line. That's going to do it for us for the Duck Territory podcast. You can find us on iTunes. By searching for the Duck Territory podcast, uh, we're free. Go to DuckTerritory.com for more information. Eric will be at the Portland State game tonight. They'll have your post-game coverage. And then uh, we'll probably reconvene um, sometime in the next couple of days. Uh, probably, I think it's probably best to go after Central Arkansas going into the Pac-12 slate. Yeah. Uh, so we'll probably be back sometime around Christmas time, uh, a couple days before uh, the actual holiday. So... Until we talk to you guys then, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon. See you guys.